This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 296 with Karen Bonnell. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 296. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Karen Bonnell has over 30 years experience working with couples and families facing transition, loss, growth, and change. Karen is an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Additionally, she has served on the faculty at multiple universities, including the University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, and Seattle Pacific University, before beginning her full-time private practice in 1984. She regularly writes for, speaks to, and trains healthcare and legal professionals. Karen's work as a collaborative divorce coach spurred her determination to write the co-parenting handbook with Kristen Little, child specialist. Parents learn the best ways to support their children, strengthen their co-parenting, and discover the necessary tools to skillfully create a two-home family with this excellent resource. Karen then went on to write the parenting plan workbook with her contributor, Felicia Malsby, Salil. Karen and Felicia built a workbook and four plus hours of coaching seminars, the Parenting Plan Workbook video series, which provide valuable access to the mechanics behind writing a strong child-centered parenting plan. And most recently, Karen and Patricia Papernow released the Step Family Handbook for parents ready to date and hoping to one day successfully create a step family. 
As a teacher, trainer, and facilitator, Karen played an instrumental role in developing the year-long facilitator training program for the Compassionate Listening Project. As a certified Compassionate Listening Trainer, Karen utilizes this heart-centered approach to authentic speaking and capable listening used around the world in high-conflict situations such as Israel and Palestine. Her deep listening skills make all the difference working with co-parent pairs in conflict as they work their way through the pain of divorce into the future with optimism. So I was really, really honored to get Karen to come on the show. She was so gracious and humble, and she has like this voice. You just want to talk to her all day long. So just get ready. Like She has the most zen kind of sense about her. So you're going to love this conversation just because of the power of Karen's presence. And I just wanted to share before diving in, what I was so excited about was that Karen right away said that she wanted to do this interview for shameless moms who felt like their marriages were in trouble, but they couldn't see hope on the other side of divorce. And I thought that was such a powerful and supportive statement. And she really recognized the gifts that she could provide by coming on the show. So I hope that you will learn something from her. And if you are not going through divorce or have been through divorce in the past or in the recent past or a long time ago, if you don't have any situations around divorce, we also do talk about just the value of co-parenting, what that looks like. And I was kind of surprised and impressed by how much of what Karen talked about that could be just applied to like a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship. And she does talk about her resource that she's most known for, her co-parenting handbook, actually is really, really valuable and valid in an already functional marriage. And so I really appreciated her pointing out that we don't have to wait until things are in a really rough place to seek resources and seek support. You can seek those support and resources now and maybe prevent some pain and heartache down the road. So Karen went through a divorce when her children were 10 and 14, and she fully admits that she did not do what she currently preaches. She learned a ton along the way and now helps other families as they go through this, as they navigate it. So listen in to hear Karen share how to parallel parent if integrated co-parenting is not possible when you should see a co-parent coach, how to know when kids are really struggling with divorce and the restructuring of family, how to know when your kids are ready for you to introduce new partners into your family unit, what to do when your partner is not capable of co-parenting, and how reading the co-parent handbook can improve and potentially save your marriage right now. So with all of that, I'm so excited and so honored to introduce you to Karen Bonnell. Karen Bonnell, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad to be here. Shameless moms, we're all in this together. Glad to be here with you. Yes, we are in this together. And I appreciate you pointing that out right from the get-go. <laughs> and I have to say, your name has come to me in multiple areas of my life in the last probably year and a half. So I heard of you originally through... Elise Bowie, who I did an interview with, who highly recommended you. And then I know personal friends who've used your services professionally. And so I am so excited to actually be having this conversation because like, I feel like I've gotten to, I've gotten to know you a little bit without you knowing, but I know that the value that you've added to personal and professional circles around me. And I know this is going to be really positive for our listeners. Well, I, again, I'm just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about how important momming and parenting in general is, and the complexities that we face, whether yeah. we're in one home or two, or we're a stepmom or not, it's, you know, there's just a lot going on out there for us, because most of us are also working, and 
worried about our kids. And anyway, it's yeah. a long list, isn't yeah. it? Yes, you're right. Like it's all very dynamic. It's never simple, regardless of the situation. Right. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? Well, I'm going to start it. What I'm most excited right now is I did just upload to Amazon the third book, The Step Family Handbook with Patricia Pepper now. And I am very excited about that because it feels like the completion of a hat trick. Yeah. Um, if we look back on the things that have been really important to me, when my children were small, I actually wrote an entire course and taught parenting at Evergreen Hospital here in the greater Seattle area. So parenting has been near and dear to my heart forever. I'm a nurse by training. Some people know that. Some people don't. But I practice as a psychotherapist most of my career, 35 years or so. But the last 10 to 15 years, I've really focused on families in transition. So now we're talking about parents who are moving from being intimate partners and parents in one home to being parents, you know, not being intimate partners, but remaining parents as a team together, living apart. And then, of course, the next step in all of that is down the road when parents begin to recouple, and that brings the step family focus sharply into view, the dating, the getting more serious, introducing kids, and creating a step family. So that's sort of the walk. And people often ask, you know, are you divorced? And what I always say is, yes, I am. My children were 10 and 13 when I went to their dad and said, I wanted to have a divorce with him. And, and at the time was very supportive, actually, believe it or not. That's kind of an odd way to put it. But we quickly tumbled into really poor, poor, poor co-parenting together. I mean, we just really lost our heads. And at that time, this was in the late 90s, to my knowledge, there was no such thing as a co-parent coach. And although I had been a psychotherapist, in that moment, I wasn't a psychotherapist. In that moment, I was a scared and stressed out mom and professional. And the things that that path wasn't clear for me at the time. So I learned so, so much, so much. And, you know, that's my give back. It's like, yeah. I think I made every mistake. So if anybody ever walks <laughs> in my office feeling guilty about the mistakes they've made, it's like, oh, honey. sit down you're in good company shameless mom here right right oh and I'm sure people appreciate that because I can tell just from your demeanor on audio you have this very calm cool collected sense about you and so I'm sure it's kind of a relief for people to know like you've been there (laughs) you've walked in their shoes and you know you know what that struggle can look like can you talk a little bit about some of the mistakes that you made in your own situation, you know, that now you have a different perspective on? Oh, sure. I would say that first and foremost, what stands out in my mind is that when we're scared and vulnerable and stressed out and also being attacked, (laughs) the natural human response to that is to defend. Mm. And I knew, 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 I knew in every cell of my being that I should never say a bad thing about my kid's dad. I knew it, and I did it anyway, is the thing that I'm so supportive of parents about how to indemnify against that because we humans are easily triggered, and when we're scared, it gets worse, and we're messy. And so many of the things that I teach people today, and maybe part of the reason that I'm as effective as I am, is that I really do get it. I really do know what it's like to be that scared. I really do know what it's like to be that stressed out. 
and to have things flying at you that you don't know what to do with. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. And so I would say that's a big thing is really holding my children's heart in my hands at all times and being sure that I don't say something damaging about half of their heart, which is, you know, I'm in one half of their heart and their dad's in the other half of their heart. And I care about their whole heart. And I know he cares about their whole heart. We just fell apart for a while. So, you know, it's things like that, that you learn when you walk the path, how to separate out what you're upset about as spouses or spouses that are ending a marriage 
and how to hold on to what you know you do really well as parents, right? Mm-hmm. And not getting those two things conflated, like pulling those two roles apart. So, you know, we could go at it with each other as spouses who are ending a relationship, but not let that bleed into a mom and a dad who loved our children, you know, past the end of the numbers, right? Right. right. And so without coaching, all of that got mixed in together. But today, when people come in and I hear those spousal wounds come up, all the battling, the I'm bereft, you've hurt me, you've betrayed me, maybe somebody's had an affair, right? I really help them hold that above who they are as a mom and a dad or a mom and a mom or a dad and a dad, right? right? So those are just a couple of examples of why it's so important to get that support and get that coaching. Now notice... I'm coaching for the future. I'm not counseling the past. We're not unpacking that affair. The affair has happened. That was not the situation in my case, but is a common one. And we're not going to go into all the whys and wherefores of your marriage. It's not marriage counseling. We're setting a platform from the moment someone walks in my office to say, how am I going to help you have a sturdy enough platform to do it different when you leave this office? When you pick those kids up from school or daycare or whatever, How are you going to be prepared just that much more prepared to be a good parenting pair? So that's what co-parent coaching is or divorce coaching is. That makes so much sense. And I mean, when you put it in terms of like separating out the marriage from parenting, that is really eye-opening for me at least, because I would imagine people's pain with each other and between each other is, can be so strong that it can be hard to compartmentalize that in order to move forward in parenting. But the two are really actually totally different things. (laughs) They are actually totally different things. Right. And helping parents really make that very conscious. It's like, it's not a one and done situation. I don't want anyone hearing more. She makes it sound like it's easy. No, this is a yoga. This is something that you practice every day. Sometimes you're practicing it every hour. Yeah. And so just learning how to do that and be eye on the mark. I always say, eye on the mark. What's your North Star? Those mm-hmm. babies in front of you, that's your North Star. Yeah. Hold their hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I'll tell you what my background. My parents divorced when I was little. I just t- turned four when my dad left. And divorce looked really different. This would have been in like 1979. Mm-hmm. And divorce looked really different at that time. And co-parenting yes. like wasn't a term. <laughs> and um, well, was not a thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how have you seen things evolve? And like, tell us a little bit about, I think there's so much power in all the ways that families can exist today in really positive ways, even with separations and transitions. And I feel like that mm-hmm. didn't exist when I was little. And I would love to hear you address that a little bit, kind of the evolution of divorce and co-parenting and why it can be so much better than it used to be. Absolutely. We used to have one model, or most of us were only aware of one model of how to restructure a family. And it was often that a parent just left. You know, like your dad, he he did what would have been typical at that time. It could have been your mom, but it was him in your case. Mm -hmm. And that, that assumption then was that that person was not just leaving a marriage, but often leaving a family. And that your mom would end up being sort of catapulted into single parenting and an enormous amount of responsibility in an unnecessary way right. without much support. And that's that was very typical in the 60s, 70s, and frankly, well into the 80s. We started to see some changes 
in the 90s, we started to see some alternatives to litigated divorces, like mediation came on the scene in a much more active and engaged way. We saw mediators working with mental health professionals to support families as they restructured. Lots of experimenting about how to do this differently, how to preserve a child's sense of their childhood and their family, even as their parents brought their intimate partnership to a completion or divorced, ended their marriage. And so that really escalated with the beginning of things like collaborative divorce and a big surge of more and more well-trained mediators, mental health people getting into that, so that now people have truly good options that can include legal counsel, but does not have to include the court system and does not have to include a litigated process. In other words, an adversarial process. If I want to end my marriage, there doesn't have to be winners and losers. I can actually get in the room with my children's other parent and we can together figure out what's best for them. This does not have to be a battle. The way I usually say to people, don't put your family through a paper shredder. That's what the litigation system often does. It pits parent against parent. And unfortunately, the win-lose process is what damages children, not divorce. Divorce Mm -hmm. itself is hard. I don't want to whitewash a thing. It involves a lot of grief. It involves a lot of change, right? But when parents are skillful, children go through many things in the course of their childhood that involve grief and change. It's part of being human. It is the human experience. So when they're able to do that skillfully with their kids, they actually grow resilient kids. When they are unable to do that with some degree of skill, then children inadvertently get harmed. So the litigation process often results and kids getting hurt. Right. So now today, 2018, one of my goals, one of my professional goals is that by 2025, people, when they think about restructuring their family or ending their intimate partnership, the first thing they think about is, how do I call a co-parent coach? How do I call a mediator? How do I call a collaboratively trained attorney? And stay out of the court system, stay in a family-centered process that will care as much about my children and as much about my co-parenting relationship as I do. Yeah. Now, the spousal stuff, that'll get worked out. That gets worked out, too, obviously, but not in a way that destroys everything else. Right, right. How can parents step away from their heightened emotional state during divorce to stay positive and purposeful for their kids? I think there's a sense of, like, a rational mind knowing that we need to be this united front for the kids or we should do what's best for the kids, but the getting caught up in the trauma and the drama doesn't always make it possible to stay singularly focused on the kids. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's a little bit what I was saying earlier about it's not a one and done situation, Mm -hmm. that it's a daily yoga and sometimes it's an hourly yoga, right? So, you know, I'm hoping that people will lean into things like the co-parenting handbook, or they'll Mm -hmm. lean into the video series that's out there, that they're going to choose, just like when we had our little people, most of us, you know, got our parenting books out, we read Parent Magazine, we got a growth and development, you know, newsletter that told us our baby's now three months old, and this is what our baby's going to be doing. We've never as parents not been doing at least some modicum of parent education, And so here, as we restructure our family, I'm hoping that parents remember this is a time to lean into that as well, because there's plenty written out there now, whether you're on Twitter, 
Facebook. It doesn't matter. And again, there are certainly some good books. There are good books for children as well, right? Right. So if I can engage my co-parent to join me, then let that divorce coach, that co-parenting coach, those collaboratively trained attorneys, let them help you. You know, lean into the people who have done this before because goodness knows you're not in a place to invent the wheel. You know, you're so stressed out or so hurt that if you rely only what you know from the past or maybe your parents' divorce in the 80s, mm-hmm. it's going to take you in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And I actually just remembered, which I completely forgot when we first started, we had friends go through a divorce probably four or so years ago. And I remember at this point, I was not familiar with your work. And I remember the husband saying to my husband, like, our main focus is our son and doing everything, you know, just to make sure that he's taken care of. And they were like, so we got this book and we're just basically like following the book. And it was your book. It was the co-parenting handbook. And they basically were like, this is our blueprint. And I remember they literally were like, step number one. (laughs) And they used (laughs) it for everything. And so I really appreciate, I mean, I so appreciate that that's out there as a resource, but I appreciate you pointing out that this isn't about us like trying to figure out the best way or figuring out like how we can create our own model. It's like, go to something that's well studied and well done already and use that blueprint that already exists that's been tested and can be used objectively so that you can basically just go through your checklist of like, here's how we're going to manage co-parenting. And that right there can just pull you out of some of the emotions to just have a list to follow or a protocol to follow that you don't have to think things through on an emotional basis. 100%. Sarah, I rarely meet a parent who doesn't still want to be a good parent. Right. They just don't know how. They don't know what to do about, I want to go to my son's soccer game and, you know, my son's other parent is bringing a new romantic partner and frankly, I would like to tear their face (laughs) off. What do I do? I mean, these are real situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so having guidance about how to do that skillfully, you know, not take somebody's face off, but... You know, how do I do that? How do we share a community that now is experiencing brokenness? How do we do that in a way that we preserve our children's sense of privacy so that there aren't rumors and gossip spreading around the neighborhood or the soccer team or whatever the case may be? It's all in there because guess what? Nobody's invented these things. This has been around for a while. It's just that because I do this work all day, I get the benefit and the honor of walking with parents through these kinds of situations and we find solutions together. I just finally wrote them down. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you writing them down. What happens when only one parent is on board or, you know, kind of capable emotionally in the moment or in in a time frame to co-parent in a positive and peaceful way? And what can that one parent do? Like I would imagine there's a lot of situations where it feels like the burden falls on one parent to kind of be the leader or be the person who's being the bigger person or being the more positive one. And how do you navigate that with couples? It's hard. Yeah. I just want to start with that's just hard. And so I do a lot of pep talk around stay on the high road. And there are many reasons for that. If you can stay on the high road, not only are you modeling for your children, the kinds of skills and abilities that you want to pass on to them, that's number one. And that's always should be your number one you know, reason to stay on the high road. But the second reason is we never know when lightning's going to strike. And that's a metaphor. We never know what's going to change our co-parent's mind to become the co-parent that our kids actually need them to be, 
you know, with us, right? And a lot of times what it is is when that co-parent who's just been a nightmare finally gets a new partner, they finally find someone they want to date, and now they want to demonstrate for this other person what a great parent they are. <laughs> and lo and behold, they start to like a decent human being because who would want to behave like a real, you know, nightmare right. in front of a new dating partner. Nobody wants to see your dirty laundry right. or your old marriage. So we never know when lightning's going to strike and we take it in whatever form it comes. I just have to smile because we found our detente, if you will. And what that included, we were very strong, what we call parallel parents, which is say we have very little integration. Mm. And so we barely spoke to each other. We didn't exchange much in the way of emails. My kids are now older. They're adults. But in May, I uh, had a granddaughter. And this is the lightning strike moments in our family. My granddaughter was born, and I'm sitting in the hospital waiting room, making sure that, like, oh, is she going to call me? Mom, I need you. Well, she didn't. She did beautifully. They did great. <laughs> but I guess I was hopeful, not for an emergency reason, but just because we all love right. to be needed. Yes, you totally um, want to be right? needed, you know? especially in those kinds of moments. Um, and, you know, right? So there I am. I'm sitting there, and my text goes off on my phone, and I look down, and there's a text message from my kid's dad who I haven't heard from by text message for years. Mm. And it says, congratulations, Grandma. Well, I almost fell off the back of the chair. And so I had to double check that somebody hadn't stolen his phone. (laughs) So I'm just saying. Anyway, that was the beginning. And later that day, I was texting with him, and I was appreciating him. And I just said, you know, it really matters to me. I really appreciate what you did today. And he texted it back at me, and he goes, what did I do? Almost like an accusation, right? Mm -hmm. What did I do? And I said, you came to the hospital at ease. You came to the hospital like we were grandparents, and I was so appreciative of that. Yeah. When he walked in the room, he put his arm around me. That man has not touched me for 20 years. That's what I mean. I mean, even just in a friendly, right. social, shake-my-hand sort of way. He puts his arm around me, and he says, look what we've done. So anyway, the lightning wow. strike moment was, our granddaughter doesn't need to know anything about that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. What was that term that you used again? Parallel parenting? Parallel parenting okay. is a form of co-parenting. Okay. And when we are in a high conflict or highly emotionally injured co-parenting relationship where resolution is not possible for one or both people, then a parallel parenting relationship allows things to settle down and creates at least enough safety for children to move back and forth between their homes with less conflict and less noise and less tension. It just means we have very, very strong boundaries. We follow very strict rules. Mm -hmm. We communicate only in certain ways, right? We respect each other's distance at the basketball games. You know, we just highly respect the space that each of us needs, and we do only what absolutely is necessary for our children. Mm, And that that is, there you go, right? It's actually a very functional way to be co-parents when a more integrated co-parenting relationship isn't possible. Mm, okay. Kids do understand that we divorce for a reason, right? They're not blind to when marriages end and it's difficult. They're not blind to that. They just need to be protected from the enmity and the emotional fall apart that often surrounds it. Right, right. Can you tell us about a success story, maybe a couple that you saw who was really struggling to create a united front, and how were you able to get them on the same page? Like, how does that work? I'm sure that you see this 
hopefully frequently, but where people come in and they really don't see the light. Like they don't see how they can ever see eye to eye on anything, including parenting. And you're able to help them kind of turn that around. You know, one of my favorite, favorite sets of co-parents who I actually, I do still work with. I love them. By the way, I often grow to love the people that I work with. <laughs> I would imagine. I guess because they, they share with me, you know, that some of the messiest times of their life yeah. and how can you not love someone when they're so vulnerable. But these parents came in highly competitive and they were almost wired to be competitive. They're competitive in their jobs. They're both extremely successful. They were being very competitive with each other and everything was an opportunity for an argument. And they divorced when their child was very young little over a year, I believe. And the divorce process itself took well over a year. So by the time they got spit out of their litigated divorce, this little one was maybe two and a half heading toward age three. And when they entered my office, this little one was probably three and a half or whatever, and was suffering from something called failure to thrive. Oh, wow. So chronic health issues, chronic constipation, chronic, a lot of chronic things. And at the age of even as heading toward age four, weighed 26 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Now, right? Doesn't that just make every mama's heart just start yes. to pound? And so here's the deal. This little one probably would have been a little one anyway. Like that was part of his natural stature and size. But clearly the stress between his parents was literally eating him alive from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so together with just enormous support, and like I said, love for these two, we just kept going after it. I attended pediatrician appointments with them so that I could help and interpret what they were being told, whether they were doing a good job. And here they are, they're away from family. They just were scared, and they didn't know how to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And so today, thriving, 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 kidlets reading, doing math, I mean, it's just like, it's crazy how much better everyone's doing. But like I said, it wasn't one and done. It is a yoga. It is a practice. So that is an example. That's a pretty big example. Mm -hmm. Lots of small victories, lots of littler victories I could tell you about. That I think stand out to the day I see my listeners. I'm very thankful that I get to do this work. Yeah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So it sounds like, Karen, that people come to you at different times in the stages of divorce. And sometimes it's maybe as they're anticipating that shift or transition. And sometimes it's after that's already happened. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, when is it most ideal? And then, and how do you see it in different timeframes? You bet. Absolutely. It is ideal when parents are contemplating restructuring their family, that they come and meet with a divorce coach, a co-parent coach, someone that's highly skilled and trained in helping families restructure who know about children's growth and development. Absolutely. Parents will often come in at that point and they want to know things like, what's our next step? Should we contact an attorney? Here's what we're thinking about when one of us might move out. This is what we're thinking about how to share our children. So we're talking about all of those things, including in how do we tell our kids that we've made this decision, right? And that's ideal. However, I will work with anyone at any stage of their divorce process as long as they meet two criteria. And that is that they have to come here voluntarily, so on their own engine. Even if the courts recommend it, they have to agree with that recommendation and come voluntarily. The other is that they have to come in good faith. And what that means is that they are open to learning and building the parenting skills to be a strong parenting team together, living apart. As long as they meet those two criteria, it could be during their divorce process, it could be post-decree, maybe they went through a horrible litigated process that they didn't, they didn't even realize they should have been doing something different, but now they do. Mm. And they really want to undo the damage, they want to figure it out, they want to get it right. I welcome those parents, I will help them do that, I will help them repair with their children, but again, voluntarily and in good faith. Right, right. I notice your... I'm assuming very conscientious word choice around restructuring family. And Mm -hmm. do you use that in place of the term divorce? But I've noticed you've you've said it multiple times. So I want to make sure that we touch on that because I think it's probably, I'm sensing it's very important and I think I might know why. Right. So divorce is a legal process and it signals the end of an intimate partnership for those people who choose to get married. We need to keep in mind that today about 25% of parents with children aren't legally married. So Mm. I keep that in mind. I think the word divorce is extremely important, and I work with my parents to talk directly with their children about what divorce means. This is how it goes. I'll say what I want you to say to your children is mommy and daddy have made a decision or mama and mommy have made a decision. We're going to divorce. And then I want it followed up with, and what that means in our family is. And now we have a little bit about that means that we're going to continue to be the best parents to you, but we're not going to be married anymore. Mm -hmm. So again, we're teaching the children the very same thing I'm teaching the adults, which is what's changing here is the husband and wife, the marital relationship, the intimate partnership is changing. Mom and dad or mom and mom, dad and dad, that's not changing. We're still parents. We're just going to take care of you across two homes. The other thing about it is that I say restructuring a family because at the end of the divorce process for children, they still only have one family. Yes. The experience might be two families, but children have one childhood, they have one set of parents, and they may have two homes. That's a structural issue, Mm -hmm. not a destroyed, delete issue. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to help parents avoid any sense that the first-time family that children were maybe born into 
is not deleted. It's restructured. It's changed. And that family may expand again and include other adults and other children. We call that step family. But it's still family. It's an expanded family. Yeah. I really like that. And I think that, I mean, that's such a different way to term than now my, you know, my kids come from a broken home, which I think was like what we said in, or what people said in like the (laughs) eighties. Exactly. It's way more positive. (laughs) I mean, it makes so much sense that the family is still one unit. It's just existing in a different and new and different way. Yeah. New structure. Right. Right. So what are some signs that kids are struggling after divorce? And I would imagine there's times that people come to you, maybe not because things have changed so much in the, what's going on in the divorce as much as that, like, there's some clear signs that kids are struggling. And now there's this, like, maybe sense of urgency of like, oh, wait, have we done something that was like not correct or not the most supportive to the kids? And now how can we address that? Right. How do we do the repair? Sarah, I love this question because oftentimes parents want to see it as, well, it's because of the divorce or it's Mm. because of how we did the residential schedule, which it could be because of those residential schedule. But rarely is that the case. It's almost always that something has happened about how we're parenting together apart that is really disrupting our kids. Mm -hmm. It can be the sheer amount of change, which we need to be aware that our children have a change bandwidth. And what I mean by that is they have the capacity to absorb a lot of change, but there's a point at which it crosses a line and kids just fall apart. Mm -hmm. Okay, And that's often the thing that we see when parents separate, go through a divorce. Six months later, they meet someone. They introduce their kids to that new romantic partner. There are three children that that new partner is bringing into now the parenting time with that parent. And six months after that, they're all spending the night on the weekends. And pretty soon, those little ones are like, okay, I can't do this. Yeah, This is like way too much birthday for me. I'm going to throw up. There's Mm -hmm. been too much change, too much loss. I don't recognize a thing about my parents, my home life, or myself anymore. And those are the things that are going to bring my parents back in here to say, my kids aren't doing well. And it's usually the loss that's not given enough time to resolve the loss, the grief, mm-hmm. or the change. Okay. And so what we see in the short run, we're going to see normal regressive behavior. So the original adjustments are going to look like increase in snotty behavior for preteens, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to see more temper tantrums by two-year-olds. Take any of the normal developmental behaviors that are challenging for any age group, ask kids to go through their parents' divorce. Nine times out of 10, you're going to see some period of time where those behaviors escalate some. We might even see some younger behaviors, right? Like, so a four-year-old that was potty trained might be wetting the bed again or peeing their pants. That's mm-hmm. normal. That's the stuff we would call normal. Now, if that becomes protracted, persistent, chronic, exaggerated, then parents are almost always concerned. And that's where we really want to make sure that we up our parenting, we slow down our change, we really stay focused and present. The other thing that worries children when their parents go through a divorce, depending on how stressful it is, is how distracted they are, right? Yeah. It's a distracting time when you're worried about finances and somebody's got to move and are we going to sell the family home? There's just so much that it's easy to become a distracted parent. 
And that's hard on kids because we've got to remember that our kids are going through all those changes too. And so they need us to walk with them and help them process those changes in a good way. That definitely makes sense. What should parents consider when dating and how do you start to integrate new partners in a non-threatening way? And is there like a recommended time period or steps to that? I know you have specifics around step parents, but what about like that in between time? Right. You know, it's funny when we decided, when Patricia and I decided to write the Step Family Handbook, we very intentionally started the book with the dating phase for that reason. So it's like, okay, you're now officially a co-parent, you're officially a two-home family or whatever, and you're ready to date. How do you do that? So that's where the book starts. It's important, again, if we think about our children, we're going to go back to that change bandwidth. And we ask ourselves, our children are going to potentially be more capable of accepting a new person in their family or new people if there are other children involved, if they themselves are secure again in their sense of family. So have we allowed enough time to go by that our children are kind of, if you will, back in their saddle They're good with their peers at school, their academics are good, they're sleeping well, they're eating well, they know where the silverware drawer is in both of their households, that they're actually like, we look at them and we go, wow, we've done a really good job stabilizing post-divorce, post-separation, right? So that's our first question about, would it be possible that our kids might be ready to consider that mom and dad or dad or one of our parents is dating, Now, depending on the ages, and this is all covered in the Step Family Handbook, children respond very differently to their parents dating at different ages, and children are more capable of accepting new people into their family at different ages. And so it's useful to know that 13-year-old girls are not fond of their mother's dating. I'm just oh going to gosh. say it, right? You like hit the nail on when my parents got divorced when I was so little, like at, between the ages of five and seven, I was like, who wants to be my daddy? And then at like age 11 ish, 12, I was like, if you come near my mom, I'm out. Like <laughs> I'm, I will leave this house and I, never come back. There you go. There you go. Right. And it's just so important to realize that we have to tailor what we're doing because if we think, And here's one of my mistakes. I did think that my kids would just get on the train. They don't. Mm. And that can be a really painful, rude awakening that kids, particularly as they move toward 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, have their own opinions, Mm -hmm. their own needs, their own thoughts, their own judgments. They have their own a lot of things. And one of the places that they exercise expressing that is around apparent dating. So... We know that children age eight and under do better with allowing a new parent, new person, a new adult into their parent's life, uh, nine and older, are more challenging. And there's different issues involved, particularly if that new person is anticipating that they're going to be respected and treated like a parent, they have some educating to do. It will take a long time for them to go from my parent's partner or this adult that lives or comes into our family to becoming actually a step-parent or someone that's treated with that kind of intimate insider kind of respect. Mm -hmm. 
And so that can be tough, especially if somebody comes in, a, a man comes into a family and let's say a mom has an 11-year-old girl and a 7-year-old boy. The 7-year-old boy might be thrilled to have a stepdad and be very accepting of that role. And the 11-year-old girl is going to be a nightmare or likely to behave in ways that are really difficult. So we have to understand that about kids, and that changes how we pace things and how we do it. So it's tricky. It's not like an easy question to answer because so many factors come into how are we successful. Right. And, of course, that's what we want if we want people to be successful. Yes, yes. So when you are in those spaces of kids being really resistant to partners. I mean, like my first thought would be like my answer for everything. I'm like, well, maybe therapy for everyone. <laughs> um, like what are some of the recommendations for you know, to work yeah. around that? I'm sure there's a lot of different things, but I would be curious where to start. So parents are the best therapists for their kids. And I just want to say that because oftentimes we do kind of want to run to therapy. And here's the thing. If you were in a room of, let's say, 100 therapists who were trained, you know, in the last 15 years as therapists, and you said, how many of you have specialized training in step family? Maybe four people will raise their hand. Mm. And so if you go to a family therapist who doesn't have specialized training in step families, you're going to get advice that is very applicable to first-time families. Yeah. That is not going to be applicable to step families. And oftentimes what we call Patricia fondly names easy wrong turns, right? Mm. And so what was intended to be helpful actually isn't helpful at all. You have to understand that the architecture of a step family is completely different. Yeah. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing is we call it step families for a reason. And what Patricia and I put forward is it's because you step gently and you step slowly into family. I like Particularly that. the older children are, the slower the stepping has to go. So I'm going to step in and then I'm going to step back. I'm going to step in a little further and then I'm going to step ease back. I'm going to step in a little more and see how that works. We're going to step easily back and forth. We're going to figure out how to build these relationships, how to form trust, how to negotiate how we're going to celebrate a holiday or a birthday. Because by the way, it never occurred to me that you put sprinkles on sugar cookies. We always put icing. Every one of those small details matter to kids as we start to form a step family. It's another form of change. It's another indication of loss, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. Even though it's a good thing, it can also include those other elements, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of learning to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this has been so valuable and so helpful. And I know I want to say one of the things I was thinking of, you know, I can't say that the majority of my audience is in a situation where they're co-parenting, but I know that I do have listeners who struggle in their marriages. And one of the things that comes up, and this actually comes up in some of our private Facebook conversations, is that they can't anticipate the trauma that they would put their family through if their family have to restructure, as you so lovely term it. And I think that this conversation is so valuable so that people can see that if we have to go this route, there's a lot of hope around it and that it can be done in a way that can be positive for the kids and can leave people in a potentially even better place at the end of it all. So can you just kind of in closing, can you speak to 
how you see hope that maybe didn't exist when families were in really challenging situations prior to restructuring and the hope that you see when they've gone through it and been able to come to a positive place in co-parenting. Absolutely. You know, a troubled intimate partnership almost always is unconsciously bleeding into your parenting anyway in one home. You really want to watch for that. Oftentimes we think we're staying together for the kids and the kids are thinking, this is so weird. You know, mom and dad are so weird together or they're forcing themselves or whatever, whatever. Now, let's get honest. There's nothing that kids want more than to have both of their parents at their fingertips whenever they need them. That's true. But the process of figuring out how to constructively form a family situation that actually meets the needs of everybody involved is a gift. I am not making light of divorce. Please don't hear that. But what I do know is that when people are more whole, when they're more in integrity with their, you know what I say, their head, their heart, and their mouth are in alignment, everybody benefits, including children. And so... Doing that work skillfully, yes, has to be at the top of the list. Getting good guidance, 100% do that. Get that guidance. Talk with your co-parent. Do you know, sometimes people have said to me, if we had read the co-parenting handbook while we were married, we might still be married. Yes, so I, want to put I that actually out. was going to ask you about I just that. Want to say, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. That there is, at the end of the day, good parents are good parents in one home or two. Right. And so if you've been struggling with your parent, your parent that you're married to, the, the person that you're married to, you've been struggling with parenting together, pick up the book. Because I think you'll find many tips in there that will ease the places that you compete, that your intention, that you have been unable to resolve the way you recycle parenting conflicts. You may find many clues that will really reduce the tension and conflict period. Yeah. That's such a great place to end. And I so appreciate you pointing that out because I was actually going to ask, and I feel like it's probably a whole nother conversation, but I was going to ask about like all this value in learning to co-parent when you don't live under the same roof is probably just as valuable when learning to co-parent under the same roof when you're still married. So 100%. (laughs) So with that said, that was a great segue into tell us where we can find you and where we can access your amazing resources. Oh, thank you. So I'm, you know, of course, if you Google my name, I'm coachmediateconsult.com, my website, there's tons of resources on there, videos on my YouTube page, tons of stuff there. And of course, there's the three books, which is the co-parenting handbook, which also has an audio version, by the way. So for people who don't like to read, there is an audio version and I'm reading it. So it's kind of funny. People say it helps them sleep at night. You Um, do have a very (laughs) soothing voice. (laughs) Right, And then there's the parenting plan workbook, which is guidance to how to think about creating a parenting plan together. And then, of course, the new book, The Step Family Handbook. And those are all available on Amazon or in your local bookstores and your libraries. Nice. Oh, that's so great. Thank you, Karen. I so appreciate you being here. And I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing and how you're helping families restructure and reframe in ways that can really be so much more positive than the way it was done for so many of us back in 1979. So that's right. Uh, that's right. Cultural shifts a good thing. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Growth and evolution. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank Thanks you, again, Karen. Sarah. My pleasure.
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 